0: A quick message before we get into this week's episode. For longtime listeners of the show, you know that and I have been very reluctant to add sponsors and to add recommendations to our podcast. Our priority is to you, to the writers and to the creators. And so we've held off to make sure that we can find partnerships that we feel good about and products that I can honestly recommend. And that's why I'm so excited to recommend this week's sponsor to you. Quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. This is a tool that I am personally using to build a newsletter that I haven't announced yet, but it's, it's been hugely beneficial for me. So Quillbot is a paraphrasing tool. And the way that I'm using it is I'm scrubbing long form articles that are very, very in depth with information that I know my audience will really value and appreciate. And I copy that content and I paste it into Quillbot. And Quillbot paraphrases all of the text into a couple sentences, sometimes a couple paragraphs to really shorten and pack in the information, which allows me to better piece this information into a curated newsletter that I am sending out weekly. For people that listen, you know that and I really, really believe in the newsletter space. We believe that newsletters are great businesses to start and and you should start one. If you wanna get involved in online media and start creating a business for yourself, a newsletter is a great place to start. And this tool, QuillBot has been so beneficial for me in building this curated newsletter that I'm working on. It makes it so that I can jam pack a lot of information into not a lot of space. And it really, really has helped me format my newsletter and provide the information to my readers in a way that I know they enjoy and a way that I know they can quickly digest in a way that I feel really proud about. So once again, check out this week's sponsor, quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. It's easy to sign up and tell them that Timon sent you. All right, let's get on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddard. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest today is Charles Miller. Charles. Great to have you. I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me out.
0: Of course. I want to start at the beginning because one of the things I've appreciated about you and your content is how transparent you are about the fact that when you started your journey as a freelancer, entrepreneur, coach, whatever you consider yourself, uh, you were at a point in your life where you were a little bit clueless. You don't i don't want to speak for you but it doesn't seem like you considered yourself a writer before you started getting in into online writing it was an opportunity that you that you saw and something that it looks like you you pursued and you practiced and you took advantage of so for those of you that are hearing about you for the first time uh, i'd like to start with with your origin story how did how did you even get into this to to this type of work
1: yeah so i was not very good at school um Didn't like it. Wasn't very good at it. And the only thing I was decent at was writing. So I would get like B pluses in English. um, And I actually kind of wanted to be a novelist. But I was like, you can't make any money writing. I'm going to try to do something else. So the first thing that caught my eye was e-commerce. I was like obsessed with the idea of being self-employed. But I did not know how I was going to make that happen. So I was like, all right. Let me start an e-commerce business and like Like every 20 year old guy on earth, I was like, I'll start a sunglasses business or like a watch business or something like that. And I did that three times in a row, ended up losing probably $30,000 total um, through those three brands. And I was driving for Uber, like doing awfully in e-commerce. And I was like, all right, I need to get a job immediately. And while I was applying, I was like, okay, let me do some freelance writing as well. Um, Let me just get on Upwork, see if I can make something work. And I ended up getting two blog writing jobs almost immediately, um, and then I built from there. So I went from Upwork to Cold Outreach, did a lot of email marketing, um, and then I finally settled into personal branding about two, three years ago.
0: So quite the journey. I didn't know that uh, that you were, at least in your mind, somebody that enjoyed writing before you got into this. As I've read your tweets and, and just your experience about it, my Uh, assumption was that you were a little bit clueless but but it makes sense because your writing is so good in terms of writing for the internet i know that doesn't sound like a real thing but (laughs) but it really is the way that you would approach writing for the internet is just very different from when you would approach you know say a novelist how did you frame those skills to be direct and efficient and let's just call it hook heavy you know like getting really really good at writing hooks and and breaking that pattern interrupt was that something that you had to practice or was that something that you felt came naturally to you
1: no i definitely had to practice because when you learn writing in school they teach you um you know write an introductory paragraph and it's 150 words long and maybe you have one little hook in there at the beginning but it's boring um So when you write online, you got to get into it way faster. You have to be way more interesting at the start and you have to keep it way more interesting. So how to develop that skill? I think writing on Twitter originally um, helped a lot with that. I'm more of a LinkedIn guy at the moment, but starting on Twitter was really important because back then you couldn't write more than 280 characters. So it's like you get to the point where you literally can't even post what you're trying to say. So keeping things short and really focusing on the very beginning of the posts I was writing, um, was a learned skill for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, how do you practice that? Like if somebody sees what you're doing and and by the way, I'm still on the intro phase of this podcast. We're going to talk about (laughs) your business and, and your clients and all that. But if somebody sees what you're doing and they think to themselves, huh, like that's an avenue that I'd be interested in taking, how do you do that? Was it all just trial and error? Was there like a curriculum that you learned? Is there some kind of framework that you developed? How did that come about for you?
1: Yeah, so mostly practice. Uh, You can get ahead by purchasing some kind of course or like getting in some kind of community. Um, I did not do that early on. I wish I had because I was pretty slow to learn how this works. So it took me like six months of continuously tweeting to kind of figure out, exactly how to attract attention and, and communicate things in a concise way. Um but yeah, I would recommend if you have the money paying for something, getting in something simple, you know, you don't have to do more than like five hundred dollars, but learn from someone who's done it and then, you know, practice a ton. That's that's basically the whole game.
0: Who did you learn from most? Who is somebody that you looked up to?
1: Um there was a guy named Jose Rosado. Um that's still yeah, his name. I know Jose. <laughs> but Ninja, yeah, I, is
0: that still his name?
1: he was like that. It's kind of funny. Like for content creators, it's, it's almost like there's, um, like there's classes, <laughs> like in school, like a bunch yeah. of people will come up at one time. And then like six, 12 months later, a bunch of other people will also. So he was kind of like one class before me, like maybe six to 12 months before I started getting somewhat big. He was, you know, one of the main guys talking about that. And yeah, he was the number one guy that, that I learned from early on.
0: Okay, this is, this is a cool segue. Um, so I'm going to write down Jose's name because he has a little bit more interesting of an approach in terms of his sales. And you and I know each other pretty well. You are not the like outgoing, outbound, kind of cold outreach guy. Like he, It's like you're very low-key, you're very relaxed and chill. So um, I'm going to put Jose on the, the wait list. We're, we're going to come back to him and his methodology. But in order to, to talk about that, I want to talk about you and your business. So your website, charlesmiller.me. And on your website, you say, are you ready to build your brand? I have many needs or I have options for many needs and every budget. So scroll down and see which are right for you. Uh, you've been... I've I've hired you in the past. You have been somewhat of a of a coach and a mentor to me in terms of growing my social media. Uh, as you and I have talked about before, it's never something that I took seriously or even cared about. You know, <laughs> like in many instances, I would kind of scoff at it. But since I've been serious about it over the last three years, it's added tremendous and tremendous value to my my personal brand really um that's never even something that i thought mattered much until i met you and until you started teaching me some of this so let's let's again start at the beginning you help other people build their personal brands what do you think is the power of that in today's world do you think that's like hyperbole or do you think it's a real serious asset that that people need to start taking seriously in terms of their careers and, and their businesses? Yeah, it's extremely
1: valuable. And I, I know this from working with so many clients. They've had outcomes um, that far exceed mine, and my outcomes have been awesome too. Um, what it is 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 basically a launch pad for, for other opportunities. So having a personal brand can be your entire business, but it also attracts opportunities so you can get dms from people who want you to co-found businesses with them you can reach out to people and you have a hundred x better chance of getting a reply just because you have you know not even that many followers if you have 15,000 followers they're going to take notice more often than if you have none so there's basically infinite opportunities that you can either go out and get or will come to you that come from having a personal brand and it's just like trust at scale. And basically every big time internet entrepreneur is, is either considering it or already doing it right now because people are realizing how valuable it is. It's
0: been very valuable to me. I'll give you a perfect example of that. And I want to make a statement and then basically have you comment on it. Um, other than newsletter ads, I send a newsletter every week through timstads.com. And that's, that within itself has been great. It's about eight hundred bucks a month or so. Sometimes thousand bucks a month, depending on the deal that I make. And it's cool because I would write my newsletter anyway. You know, like you, I just I love to write, and it's it's something that I've I've just built into my 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 routine. Regardless of, of the newsletter, I haven't actually made any money from my personal brand. I've promoted Coffee Blogger Academy through it. Um, you know, I, I experimented with maybe taking on some clients uh like seo clients and i've i've even collected a couple leads through timstods.com but the vast vast majority of the value that it has brought me is random opportunities that i wasn't necessarily looking for so a, a perfect example is my most recent investment cuppa cuppa.sh it's uh it's an ai writing assistant and uh i i was just approached <laughs> basically to, to partner on that and I've, I've never told anybody this before Um, not like I'm, I'm trying to keep a secret but I'm just trying to paint the picture I didn't even have to pay for my partnership stake in that company the deal that we made was fully on a promotional basis because people follow me they know I'm a writer they know I'm an entrepreneur and already I haven't even executed on like the full promotion we have where we're trying to perfect the product and I'm I'm redoing the homepage of the actual product uh, of the sh homepage but when that happens my job is simply to use my personal brand as a mechanism to promote the product. So it's the first time that ever happened to me where you know I invested quote unquote in a company like I'm an equity partner but I didn't even have to put up any money. It was all a deal that we put together. So like I said this isn't a, a question I'm just kind of making a statement, but I'd I'd like your view put on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just one of many examples of how much leverage you gain when you have even like a mid-sized personal brand. I've had people approach me with similar deals. Um, It just makes everything easier. Like if you're doing client work, your cold outreach is going to be more effective and you're going to get tons of inbound and you don't have to do a bunch of work to find people. Um, You can partner up with technical people and, and start businesses without putting in any money yourself. So there's all these little things that make everything easier and everything cheaper, and they have really high potential at the same time.
0: So then let's talk about your specific business. You have a couple of different revenue streams. Correct me if I'm wrong. Most of your business comes from client work. You'll, you'll do ghostwriting, you'll do consulting for other people to, to help them Build their personal brand. This has always been fascinating to me because I, I never imagined that that would be like an industry that so many people can succeed in. I think you're probably, well, not probably. You're you're definitely one of the the bigger voices in that space. But I see it now as being hugely opportunistic and a great entry point for people where. If they want to get involved with, with digital marketing, with entrepreneurship, maybe ghostwriting for other people is a great place to start. So I'm hoping you can almost educate me on this because I know very little about it, but I watch what you do and the success you're having. And I'm thinking, man, there's really something there. Yeah. So on the yeah. client side, what makes this work so well
1: is that successful people have a lot of money and they don't want to you know, take up something new and time consuming and, you know, put a bunch of resources into doing it themselves. So they have one or two or 10 businesses to run. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity for helping them with, you know, all kinds of services and social media growth is one of them. So one of the keys to making the business work is that I'm only working with people who are, you know, moderately to very successful. Like I have a, a type form. And one of the questions on the type form is, you know, do you make over 30,000 a month under 30,000 a month or, you know, no income, but you have a very high net worth. That's like people who just sold their startup. And the reason for that is if somebody is earning less than that, you know, that's great. That's like 99.9% of the world, but they probably can't afford the prices and they probably are going to, um, just like not be in a position to, to outsource and, uh, pass off all those duties to me. So one of the keys is targeting a a very successful audience.
0: Yeah, let's focus on this for a little bit. Um, It's about a a year and a half ago when I hired you for the consulting work that we did. I was still living in Nashville, something like that, right? And, um, And I was very impressed and intrigued with how specifically you target people who already have had some success for themselves. And I've heard you say in podcast. I think it was Darren's podcast. He does kickoff sessions um, where the trick is to make sure you work with people that can afford it and also to make sure that what you do makes money for the people that you are working for, which is like a ballsy thing to say because it would be very easy to just provide a service and not necessarily put yourself on on the line like put yourself on the hook in terms of of success and failure so what was the process like for you to have that realization it's so simple but it's also like a big profound realization to have where you're you're truly defining your metric of success what was that process like for you was it some epiphany moment you had was it a a gradual realization as you stumbled your way forward how that happened
1: yeah so I usually learn things the hard way um as most people <laughs> yeah, do yeah me too um so in terms of like learning to work with more successful people um I just worked with you know for pennies for like a, a while like maybe nice. a year a year and a half just like really not getting paid very well at all um so The transition was first of all, getting more skilled and getting more confident. Like there's this whole culture in online. It's like, everyone's like, oh, raise your prices, only work with rich people. And it's like, well, I've never written a word for anybody before. So how can I do that? Um, so you do have to kind of build your skills up and get more confident and it it is a process. But once you've got the ability and you've had a couple experiences with, um, clients who were not so pleasant, you realize you know, the kind of person you should be working with and you start targeting them almost exclusively.
0: How much did you get paid for your first client?
1: Um, I wrote a sales page. It was about 1,500 words long. I got paid 40 bucks for it. Um, really nice guy, actually. I <laughs> We're not in <laughs> touch anymore. That was like five and a half years ago. But yeah, 40 bucks for about 1,500 words.
0: And then... And then what was the next step for you? Do you remember the second client or even like vaguely what what the next benchmark was?
1: Yeah. So my next two clients were blogs. One of them was a personal injury lawyer. So that was kind of grim, honestly. I was like writing about people getting hurt like all day, um, (laughs) getting getting paid like two and a half cents per word. Um, And then the other one was a luxury watch blog, which was more fun. Um, and then the transition from those to higher paying work is I realized I need to be writing things with a higher ROI. So you can get paid well for blog posts, but these people were not serious about having in-depth, really good blog posts. They were just going for the volume game. Um, so I transitioned to sales copy after maybe six or nine months. Um, just because the ROI is so obvious, right? If I someone pays me $500 to write a sales email and they send it out and they get $2,000 in profit, the ROI is extremely obvious and I should raise my prices. So I transitioned more towards copywriting. um, And then now I'm kind of back in content, but there's definitely ROI when I'm doing now too.
0: Talk about the confidence because for members in Copyblogger Academy, particularly just because those are the people I talk with the most, but other people that reach out to me raising your prices is much more of an emotional process than it is a tactical process like once you do it it's actually pretty easy and there's most of the time very little pushback if you're providing value but the emotional side I think is something that that people struggle with so when you when you were at that position where you said to yourself hey I'm I'm providing a return I need to write my process. Uh, I need to raise my my prices. Was that like nerve wracking for you? Did you struggle with that? Do you think you waited too long? I'm I'm hoping to to reach that person, who is in that spot because there's very very many people who I talk to that are are in that spot right where they think they're doing good work. They know they should be making more, but they're just too scared to raise their prices. What do they do?
1: Yeah, the transition for me was I went from thinking about getting paid for my time to thinking about getting paid for the value I was delivering so like coming from you know I was an uber driver I was making like 15 bucks an hour probably 10 after taxes um, and gas Uh, it was a transition for me to be like this email is going to take me an hour and a half to write getting paid $500 for it that's like an unreasonable hourly wage so at this point I'm completely out of like the hourly mindset. I do have like an hourly consulting, but almost everything I do is either a monthly payment or it's a product I sell. And there's very little connection between time and money. It's more like value and money. So making that mindset shift, I think is the the key to raising your prices and not feeling guilty about it or nervous about it or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. It's not So basically what you're saying is it's not necessarily building up the courage to talk to to a client and say like, hey, I need to raise my prices. It's much more of like a complete shift in the mentality of what it is that you offer, where you're not saying like, hey, I need to get paid more for this particular thing I'm doing. You just start playing a different game. And then once you start playing that game, all of a sudden what you are producing has more value. And then with that, where i'm going with this is i've, I've really love to nail down this topic of you working with with people that can afford it um that understand the value of it it's a weird thing in services where the more a client pays the less of a pain in the ass they are i don't i don't know what that is exactly but it's totally true so when you started working with with higher net worth clients was that part of like that mental shift that you had or did you make a really deliberate and specific decision to say like no i'm going to start targeting these people yeah definitely
1: deliberate and specific so when i transitioned from from upwork to cold outreach um i did a lot of lead generation on linkedin and you can uh change little metrics and only get the leads you want so i was targeting businesses with at least 10 employees um and I was doing some like two to ten, but I was not doing solopreneurs, no freelancers. You know, you just it's being a rookie is is awesome. I'm rooting for everybody who's a rookie, but they just can't pay for expensive services. So definitely targeting people who I know um are at least moderately to very successful was a was a huge factor.
0: Okay. So let's let's talk about this. Um this is perfect timing for me because Cold Outreach is the next stage in my development for Stazi. Again, like you and I have talked about this before with with my um, uh, my preferredness, what the hell's the word for that? I prefer SEO uh, just in terms of, of what I like to do and the ability for SEO to bring leads to me where I don't have to actually go get them. But I'm in a space now where Stazi is just like it's a big company. And if I want to continue to scale... I just have to put some gasoline on the fire uh, in terms of, of outreach. And so I've been experimenting with and I'm doing like 10 a day. Uh, it's actually not as like terrifying and painful of a process as I thought it was. I just kind of dedicate like 45 minutes a day to doing it and then just do it every day and not actually think about the immediate results. And so it's, it's been really, really effective for me. And from what you're telling me, that was how you got started so my question, though, is when you're doing cold outreach, how do you appeal to people when you're still in the beginning stages for yourself? Because that whole like rookie thing is is twofold. You know, you were not quite a rookie, but getting started at this next level where you were, you were swimming in a different pond. And so when you're approaching these higher net worth people, like what did you use as some kind of proof? or as some kind of case study to show like, yes, if you hire me, this is the result that you'll get.
1: Yeah, so this is kind of general advice I give to people that is based off of my experience, um, which is if you have a case study, use it if you don't work for free until you do. So if you have absolutely nothing that you can show to prove that you're competent, um, I would recommend just working for free, and it's pretty easy to convince people to do something for free, um, even if they're busy and successful. So if you're at the very, very beginning, I think free work is, is a, a very great tool for getting case studies and getting connections. And you can get clients that way too. Like people, you do a little bit of free work for them and they say, okay, I'm going to transition to paid. Um, and they're often good to to stay on with you. So free work until you get a case study and then use that one case study to, to get more.
0: Is that what you did? You just offered free work to people?
1: So when I started doing cold outreach, I had been working on Upwork for about nine months. Um, yeah. So I had at least some writing samples that I could show them. Um, case studies are the best of all, but samples are decent as well. So I started out not like full huge prices, but um, you know, fairly moderate prices. And then I had uh, some writing samples and a couple of case studies as well. Oh.
0: Makes sense. You've, uh, um, I was kind of poking fun at you a little bit earlier. Let's, let's go back to Jose, right? Because I've, I've talked to Jose. He's aggressive when it comes to sales. Like he jumps on video phone calls and, and he gets after it. It's actually something about him that I, I really appreciate. Um, I, like I said, I'm, 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 poking fun at you. I am by no means trying to, to diss you or nothing, but you Don't strike me as, like, that kind of a person, you know? So anybody can do cold outreach behind a keyboard and behind, like, the veil of of a social media platform or whatever it is. But uh, I'd love to hear about your closing strategy or process because I know for a fact people listening to this, even when I ask that question, their ears are going to perk up a little bit because writers are, like, shy and weird and awkward. Right, like we just want to write and be left alone. And so, how how did you go from that spot where it's like, all right, I'm getting jobs on Upwork. Now, let me reach out to high net worth people and get on the phone with them or email them and close them and make sure they pay their invoices. Like, how did you how did you do that? How did you start closing deals?
1: Yeah. So first thing, I get this this uh, this question probably like once every two weeks. People say, Hey, can I make it as like a well-paid freelancer without doing phone calls. I just say, no, you you can't do it. Like yeah. this whole idea of like, oh, I'll close a hundred dollar contract and then we'll go up and we'll never talk to each other. Um, it's just based on like a pretty silly fear. And um, the simple answer is you just have to do exposure therapy and you, and you have to get over it. So I'm definitely an understated guy. Um, kind of a weird writer who doesn't like talking to people, but um, I've built the skill and I've built, um, a bit of a taste for it as well, just by doing it over and over and over again. So the first one sucks, the first, you know, 10 are a little bit better. And then eventually you get comfortable enough where you actually end up kind of enjoying it.
0: Yeah. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that way because it sucks, man. Like one of the best jobs I ever had one of the best experiences I ever had in my entire life when I first moved to Florida and I was like beyond fucked as like fucked you could be in terms of my future and where I was trying to go with my life. The only opportunity I could find was phone cold calling, uh, people that needed medical supplies. And so I was just making 150 calls a day to people who were getting called 10 times a day, right? Because they're on Medicare, basically, and so that's all public data, and so, like, every durable medical equipment supply company in the country sees them and knows that they either have a back brace or, I don't know, whatever, Um, and it was terrible, man, like, it was so hard and so exhausting, but every once in a while, like, once a day, for whatever reason, somebody would talk to me, and I'd get hung up on over and over and over again and get told no over and over and over again, and then sometimes somebody would just talk to me and then I would I would close a deal. And to hear you say that there's no hack, there's no like automation that you can put together to filter your leads perfectly so that only qualified people come to you, it's really like an uncomfortable process, but it's worth it. Right?
1: Yes, it is absolutely worth it. I mean, I I was as you know, I was like a partially anonymous personal brand on Twitter for years. Um, and then I got on LinkedIn and I was like the only person on LinkedIn who didn't have an, have an actual photo of myself. And then I transitioned into actually having a photo of myself, but My sales absolutely exploded. They went up like probably 30, 40%, um, within a couple of months. So this is like a general life lesson, but a lot of times we're afraid of things that are just like really silly to be afraid of. Um, and the only thing that Wait. is keeping us from hitting the next level is, you know, the stupid voice inside our head that tells us "Oh, you, you know, you can't do that or try to find a way to not do that. And the answer is just doing it over and over again until you're comfortable.
0: know uh, what a great line, because when some, the, one of the lines that really helped me, there was a sales manager at that job who had like a big impact on my life. His name was Steve K. And uh, he kept saying over and over again, the worst thing that happens is they say no. And it feels like like death. You know, it feels so terrible. But when you say it like that, it's not, it's not even almost a big deal. Like it's nothing. They just say no. And then you move on to the next one. And so... I think you're absolutely right with personal branding with putting yourself out there with sharing your ideas in general it's it's not it's just not that big of a deal right it's just not that big of a deal and it sounds like you've learned that lesson i remember when you put when you put your face on your social media platforms i was texting you and giving you (laughs) like so much of a hard time and like wow what an interesting statistic that as soon as you did that you increase your sales, you increase your product sales, you increase increase your your service sales. I don't even know how to reflect to that much, but what what do you make of that? I mean, it's just
1: trust. Um it's trust. It's people you know, the more people basically how much money you make with with online businesses is how much people trust you plus um how good your offers are. So my offers were in a pretty good spot but there's just a level of trust. It's very, very difficult to get to if you don't show who you are. There are occasional examples. Um, I know a guy, Wiz of Ecom on Twitter, who's been extremely successful, never showing his face or um, saying his name, but for every one of them, there are a thousand people who try to do that and never break through because it's just very difficult, especially on a platform like LinkedIn where being anonymous is like basically unheard of on linkedin it it might even be against their terms of service. I'm not hundred percent sure, so yeah like- yeah it's it's always better to to be more personal and show who you are. You don't need to be the person posting selfies and videos and like talking about walking your dog and like all this personal life stuff, but having a photo and just like occasionally sharing about your personal life is definitely very valuable,
0: yeah, I think that. There's a lot to be said with the idea of sharing instead of, I mean, it's, it's the vernacular is right there within what we do. Like you share a post yet so much of what I see and I find this, I don't know if distasteful is the word, just not, not the best practice, right? So much of what I see is like spewing kind of like, I know what to do. Like, let me tell you what to do. I'm so smart. This is what you should do. Listen to me. And um, I've really followed your lead in that regard, where a lot of what you do is sharing, like sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge. Um, so much so that I even wrote a blog post about it a while ago that I sent to you about like, uh, my, my ethos now with my social media content is I don't have advice to give. I have experience to share. I say that over and over and over again, even with my YouTube now that I've started doing YouTube videos. Every time I'm stuck, like, oh, what do I make a video about? I'm like, well, what do I have to share? And then all of a sudden, it's easy because there's no pressure, right? Like, there's no uh, there's no pass fail or whatever. It's just like, hey, this is what I learned. If you get something from it, great. If not, then it wasn't for you. Do you think that do you think that's a good um, framework for somebody that is is ready to to start promoting themselves on social?
1: yeah it absolutely is and and that's beneficial in a variety of ways right so you're talking about your experiences um it's useful and it makes you unique and it's also not preachy all at the same time so yeah I, I think that's certainly the way to go um people who are preachy they often don't build the best brands and then people who solely create like the most generic content like um you know best YouTube videos, things like that. Those people aren't really building personal brands. They're kind of just amassing followers. So speaking from experience the majority of the time, I definitely recommend.
0: Hmm. I was just about to transition to something else, but I need to comment on what you said, where you have taught me there is a difference between a brand and a follow And I think you articulated it earlier without even trying, and that's basically trust. Um, so much of what I've done over the last 10 years is, is aligning the problems that people have with their solutions. And you can do that on I mean I've been in B2B a lot more. So you can do that in B2B because a lot of times if there's a business name, you you just align the solution to a problem with the business. And so it's it's a little bit semantics there, but I, I think that makes sense. Whereas personally I don't I don't need to approach it with keywords. And with just traffic and like, yeah, if I put this video together, edit it a certain way, it'll definitely show up to the top of the, of the YouTube algorithms. I mean, that stuff is, is cool. And I'm not saying that it's not valuable, but the most important thing I can have is that people know who I am and when they think of me, they think of something right. And that kind of is my brand. And so I'd, I'd love, I'd love your reaction to that statement.
1: Yeah. In general, building brands, you want to think about what your outcome is first. Um, You know, what do you want? Do you want clients? Do you want customers? Do you want, like, general influence? Um, So for a very small group of people, creating generic content actually makes sense for them. They're like, hey, I like giving quick tips and tricks to people. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, And it's totally fine for them to make, you know, Twitter threads about, Chrome extensions and things like that. um, The vast majority of people though, are looking for something else, right? They want clients who are going to pay them a few thousand dollars a month at least, or they want high-ticket customers, or they want to be an authority in a specific space. So I would recommend starting with the outcome. What are the one or two or maybe three things that you want most? And then reverse engineering and creating content that get you to those outcomes. And in most cases, that's going to be um, trust building stuff yeah. like personal experiences.
0: Yeah. Very cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's hit start hitting the finish line here. I want to end with your day to day process. And I really, really mean this as a compliment. So let me explain to what Charles is able to pull off. I don't know who your clients are. I think, you know, you probably float around like eight clients or so. You have, a course that you sell, you send an email every Friday. And every time I talk to you, you're like golfing or traveling or like, you know, we're like out to dinner. But what's amazing about you is, is I'm not saying that in terms of you're living like this digital nomad lifestyle. I think that you have just developed a system and a process that like you follow meticulously because I never even see like spelling mistakes in your social content and I'm telling you I can't go a day without making at least 10 spelling or grammar mistakes right so I think this really is nuanced but I think this is something that you you do so so well walk me through what a day in the life of Charles Miller looks like how do you manage so much stuff do it so effortlessly and do it with such precision over and over and over again Yeah, so one of the big
1: things is I do basically the same things at the same times every single day. So my social media routine where I'm publishing for myself starts at like 6.35 a.m. I'm an early riser like you. um, And I do that for like 35, 40 minutes every single day. So I take the post that I've already written. um, I post it on Twitter. I post it on LinkedIn. I engage on both platforms, and then I have breakfast. And then after I come back from breakfast, now I'm writing for clients. So maybe I go um, an hour for clients, or maybe I go 90 minutes. And then I'm at the gym, and then I come back, and I'm doing um, you know, more auxiliary work. So same thing every single day. And when you get into that routine, you kind of prime your your brain to do exactly what you need it to do at the exact time that you make it do that every single day. And I've been you know, following that precise schedule for two plus years, and a version of that for about five, six years. So time blocking, very important. Focusing on one thing at a time, very important. And then just sticking with it for years until you can basically do it in your sleep.
0: There's so much about that I want to elaborate on. I'm gonna go to the next question to stay on topic though. Do you have any tools, any pieces of software that that you find helpful? How do you how do you multiply yourself in in this this context?
1: Yeah. So the thing, the one that keeps me on task is Todoist. Um, I think you use that also.
0: Oh yeah, I love Todoist. So, it's so simple.
1: Yeah, it's it's my favorite. I've tried like six, seven of these types of productivity apps. It's my favorite one. So that just you know, having, having what you need to do right in front of you, extremely important. Um, and having that made the day before, so you wake up and knowing exactly what you need to do is also very important. So you're not anxious, you're not scrambled. You've got a precise list of things to do. Um, I have notion that's where I store ideas and like links I use a lot and other information I need to, to access. Um, and then I use, AI and other apps is writing assistance. So if I'm looking for content ideas, I have um, Tweet Hunter X. It's a, a Twitter Chrome extension that helps with content idea generation. And then I also use ChatGPT just as a, a content assistant, not as a writer. So maybe I'll ask it for content ideas. Um, sometimes I have half a post written and I'm like, hey, ChatGPT, can you finish this for me? And then I don't even copy paste it. It's just like, the, the ideas and the structure. So those are the main software I use. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, quick note on what you said, do you plan your day at the night for the morning before?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, almost every weekday is exactly the same for me. So I don't need to do that necessarily. Like not a lot of stuff pops up. I basically have the same process every day. But yeah, definitely plan the night before and and have your list made so you can get up and and start tackling it immediately.
0: It's so funny because this is a, a marketing podcast, essentially. And I get asked that. It's probably the most common question I get asked on Twitter where people say like, how do you manage all of this stuff? And my response is always like, I'm telling you, it's not what you think it is. It's not that hard. I have like, Three things that I do basically. I wake up super early. So by the time it's seven o'clock in the morning, like I'm already done. And obviously, that's not, that's like an esoteric statement, but the bulk majority of my thinking, right? Of like the kind of, what do I do in this issue? Problem solving, let's say the vast majority of my problem solving is done from like 4 30 in the morning till seven. So there's that. There's writing my daily task list in my notebook. I don't personally use Todoist as a, like a personal task management system. It's how I manage my team. And so by six o'clock in the morning is, is usually when I do that, I'll have to record like three or four Loom videos in the morning, give people their assignments, put it all on Todoist, assign to it to the right person. And then it's like, it's done. I never have to worry about it again. And I'll get the email that they checked it off and the task is completed and and bam. And then um, I don't know if if I'm full screen at this part of of the video, but you see that little whiteboard behind me, that's always my weekly tasks. So there are things, it's like, these are the big problems I need to solve for this week. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is, I think you would agree with this, is there's, I, I use the word process a lot in this conversation. And I think that was probably intentional just because you're such a process-oriented person, as am I and for me like the process has always been so much more important than the tactics right than like the specific things you do to get to get the results it's it's much more about doing like the same broad things over and over and over again over a long period of time and i don't think a lot of people like to hear that
1: yeah absolutely and and one thing i'll add to this conversation generally is um Digital distractions are are sand in the gears of these these processes. And if you can't tame those, you're going to have a really tough time, even if you plan your schedule perfectly. Like, I know people who have notifications turned on on every app on their iPhone, and they're getting like 15 notifications a minute from news, you know, media companies and everything, emails, texts social media and it's like if your phone's buzzing every two minutes you're not going to be able to focus if you have twitter and linkedin open while you're trying to write you're not going to be able to focus so definitely single tasking rather than multitasking and getting rid of distractions for for as long as you can for like you know 30 60 90 minute periods is crucial
0: do you work with your phone next to you
1: um Right now, my phone is behind my computer. It's usually all the way back in the kitchen. Um, but yeah. I've had my phone on do not disturb since the day I got it in, like, 2011. Sure. I literally, I actually, I, uh, I just turned on notifications for my girlfriend only. Um, that's how you can tell she's, she's special, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my, before that, my phone did not make a noise for, like, a decade. Um, so, yeah, I'm very good with keeping distractions at bay
0: yeah that's probably one of the most powerful lessons people can get get from this podcast and it's it's one of the things that like nobody's gonna do that it's it's one of the frustrations i have sometimes with like the endless uh advice and people always just looking for like the next thing to do where in order to even get there you have to learn how to focus and it's it's like the foundation of the rest of it and it's the one skill that people struggle with the most and i say skill again on intentionally because you have to practice focusing like it's it's something that you have to really really prune and and keep front of mind so i I think i think that's an important lesson and um and probably a a great place to start wrapping this up so uh, last question what's what's next man do you have any big plans in the future are you are you coasting what are your goals so business wise um
1: I'm working on two things so I'm looking to turn my course into a community um for you know personal branding specifically so I may or may not do that we'll we'll see what happens I'm thinking about it um and then I'm looking to get into the software world so talking to technical people um seeing if I can get some kind of deal where um I have equity and i don't do anything useful like coding. Instead, I just market it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, those are my my two big concerns right now.
0: I love it. Uh, Charles, you have been extremely just helpful to me over the last two years or so since we've met, you've shown me the value of putting myself out there of showing my ideas. You introduced me to Hype Fury, which without Hype Fury, like none of this even would have been possible. And um and man, you've just added so much to my life. I, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. So let's uh let's repeat. We got Charles You are uh, your Twitter handle is different, right? It's not Charles Miller. What's your Twitter handle?
1: Um I think it's Charles Miller underscore seven something like that.
0: Oh okay. Yeah, so, totally yeah, random. You, you
1: could just start my, you could just write my name and it'll it'll definitely come up.
0: I will have all of it linked in the show notes. You can see this episode and the show notes at copybloggerpod.com. And uh, one quick announcement. We have upgraded the newsletter. So now uh, every Friday, well, the, the episodes get published on Tuesday. The newsletter goes out on Friday and that newsletter is going to have a summary of each podcast and we're going to have uh, like the most valuable quotes and the most valuable lessons of the conversation so that you can get everything in one short little bite-sized email. So sign up for that at copybloggerpod.com. There's an email sign up pop up and um, rate the the show. Give me five stars. Appreciate you, Charles. Really, um, I, I value you as a person. I thank you so much for coming on.
1: For sure, Matt. I love being on. Thank you.